Hey, you're going to love the podcast today. We're dealing with some really wonderfully uh, complex, complicated, and controversial content. We're dealing with the whole notion of, is it ethnocentric? Is it uh, a violation of cultural pluralism for Christians to come to another country and to share the gospel and to preach Jesus and to teach the principles of the kingdom? Is that something bad or should we just keep our hands off other cultures? This is a, a big topic and today you're going to hear a story of an incredible real-life transformation of a primitive headhunting tribe that has now been absolutely transformed simply by the introduction of biblical principles. You're not going to want to miss this podcast. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Hey, we never take you for granted. We are so glad that you're listening in. There's not a week that goes by that I don't hear somebody uh, make a comment about something they listen to on this podcast and express their appreciation. We hope it's helpful to you. Uh, and uh, it, it's helpful on our, our, from our vantage point on the larger cause of cultural transformation and saving the republic and keeping America strong and uh and uh, God-centered, uh, which is a lot of work. But anyway, we're glad that you're you're watching, and we hope this is helpful to that end. Um, I just, first of all, I want to thank our brand new wardrobe consultant that we just recently hired with the big bucks that we're making from this podcast. You know, we're actually looking really good with collar shirt, a collar shirt, and the gray, the gray. Yeah. You're, you're looking especially sharp. Um, and not, none of this would be possible. Almost our, in comparison to what it normally Our wear. wardrobe consultants. <laughs> and your wardrobe consultant is probably your wife. Does she have any say in what, how you leave the house? Uh, normally, no, because I leave the house before she she's up. But today, yes. Today, oh, so, yes. So she has some input. I like no, it. I put the shirt on because I was a little cold downstairs in the basement. So. So here's a shirt. as a collar. So. Way to go, Debbie. Yeah, All right. So, yeah. I know this is going to really help the ratings on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, I'm always looking good, but to get Andrew up to speed, you know, I appreciate that. Way to I'm go, a t-shirt type of guy. <laughs> it was a, a living sewn t-shirt underneath. I, you know? I noticed so, yeah, that. I was so, kind of guessing with the red Yeah, but it's a little chilling here, so I kept that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm impressed, and, yeah. you're, and you're looking good. Uh, and you always look good, by the way. I was just messing with you. But anyway, we're uh, as always, we're talking about issues that matter. And I just want to remind you all that issues that matter are always controversial because truth is always contested. And, and truth is dangerous to the enemy. And so uh, whenever we're speaking the truth about issues, it's going to be controversial. And I can't think of anything more controversial than the whole understanding of mission and and really, uh, the, the, the chapter in our book that we've been going through, the chapter was called, Can Stone Age Tribes Help Globalization? Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing story of uh, a headhunting tribe in modern-day Myanmar, uh, between Myanmar actually and India in the, in the jungles, uh, who experienced radical transformation. We're going to get into the why behind all of that. Um, but uh, this whole topic of Christianity and the gospel and evangelism and missionaries and all of this uh, is incredibly, of course, uh, out of step with modern culture. We're called every name in the book uh, for simply trying to take Jesus or take the gospel to other countries or other cultures and suggest that maybe something in their culture may or may not be right. good for them or right or true. Yeah, the idea of culture appropriation, imposing your culture on somebody else has been seeing such a jaded and biased light. Okay, so 
the story I share, I think I shared this before on this podcast is, you know, when I was in graduate school, uh, I had, uh, I went to lunch with uh, a lady, uh, a young student, she's, she, she's also in graduate school, medical school, and she graduated from MIT, you know, okay. good school. And so she, we're just no chatting. She's like, oh, what did you do before you came out to grad school? I was like, I was a missionary in Taiwan. And she just, without missing a beat, ripped into me. Oh, I just think it's so horrible that you go to another nation, post your culture and your values on the blah, 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 blah. I'm like, wow, you don't know me. You don't know my history. You don't know anything what I did. Yeah. But because of this framework, right. And and because I was not worldview trained back then, I was kind of like, I was tongue tied. I was, again, it was a cordial conversation. He just turned on the dot to be aggressive. I didn't expect that. Now, if that happened to me today, I would have simply said, hmm, culture appropriate, opposing your viewpoint on someone else, kind of like what you're doing to me right now. Exactly. <laughs> you, without even knowing me, you, you have no idea what I did, and you have no idea the compassion and the hard work and what we try to do yeah. and what we try yeah. to share, but you're just throwing your ideas upon me. I feel a little cultural appropriation right now upon myself, like you are being a hypocrite and, and, and right and now. And this is such yeah. a teachable moment. I'm glad you got to it because I was going there in my own brain. Um, the very thing she hates about what she thinks you're doing, right. she's actually doing. Right. She, she's violating her own standard of righteousness because she's suggesting what you're doing is imposing your views, right. and yet she seems to be imposing her view very strongly on you at that yeah. very moment, and, and, uh, and you didn't ask for that or right. welcome that. You were blindsided by it. Right. Uh, so again, that's just the, the, uh, the blindness of, uh, of some of our worldviews and the way that we... But that's how, that's how the higher education, that's how they sure. see all these, that, that's how they see mission work. I don't even say mission work. Uh, any type of uh, 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 taking your culture, expanding, uh, right. exporting your culture, they see that as, you know, Western Civ, you know, the white man bad thing, going across other culture, oppressing small right. tribal group. You know, you see it in Hollywood all the time. You see it in movies. You so see she, it in, she's just reading off her, her liberal script from MIT. It's from whatever Ivy League schools. With, without any real critical thought. Because, yeah, there's a lot of bad things that happens in this colonialized idea of coming, yeah. coming to your nation and telling what to do and taking over and burning stuff. But there's also a lot of good. This is actually a very gray area that requires critical thinking and, and really an unbiased thought. But she, even though she graduated from this highly elite college, was never afforded the opportunity to be able to do that. So she yeah. jumped to conclusion. And so th this chapter, I think, gives us a good opportunity to uh, talk about the nuances because we usually create straw men in arguments yep. and then we, we kill the straw man and we're like, look, aren't we smart? But the, the straw man is an oversimplification and a caricature of, of our position. And uh, so we really need to deal with the nuances. So let, let's unpackage this story. We, yeah. we get introduced to a guy. His, his short, he has a beautiful Indian name, but the short version is Ro, Aro. Um, Ro's the, the hero of this chapter. And Ro is a member of the uh, uh, headhunting tribe, the Hamars in Northeast India. And, uh, and he's a Christian now, and this is kind of talking about the transformation of his people. But he says, uh, and maybe this is a good point to start with, he said, Every single culture uh, has goodness as well as baseness or badness, and that we should be focused on transforming the negative aspects of every culture. Now, that, those statements are laden with certain assumptions, but uh, let's just talk about this. It, from a Christian worldview standpoint, any, any nation you go to, if you look around, you know, all truth is God's truth, you could find aspects of... Uh, 
you know, truth in those cultures and aspects of those cultures that should be celebrated. Yep. And then you can find other aspects of culture that are like, you know what, that's wrong. Like you and I have talked to, for instance, about Asian culture and the shame and performance and some of those kinds of things. And American culture has its own uh, set of evils, you know, uh, gross materialism, licentiousness, perversion, all, all the stuff that's agreed, uh, all these things that we're dealing with in our culture today. But you could go to every single culture and just see the beauty. You know, when we go on mission trips, for instance, I love being part of the church of Jesus Christ, finding its expression in all these different cultures because the worship is unique in Latin countries or African countries, uh, Asian countries, compared to maybe what you see on Sunday morning in, in an American church. But there's a beauty to it, the food uh, that we enjoy in all these places. The, the, you know, I love going to India because of all the beautiful colors um, and uh, the femininity of that culture in terms of the ladies. You know, they're always dressed in very what I would call feminine ways, colorful ways, beautiful ways. Um, and so you look at, at every, every nation of the world and you can see good things and you can see bad things. Yeah. But even that's a value judgment because we get right, into what, saying that. Who, what is good. Right. How do you define good? What is bad? How do you define bad? And so he goes on into, into saying that you know that these fierce warriors, the the Hamar people, beheaded 500 British soldiers in 1870. They would decorate their huts with the heads of their enemies, um, and and so just starting right there, I guess we we would ask an amazing question: like in a world of of uh, religious pluralism and relativism. Is what the Hamar people did in their culture of chopping the heads off of their enemies and decorating their homes with the heads, is that bad? And if it is, what criteria do you use to call it bad? Right. And th this is the challenge of modern, quote, higher education, is you, you find yourself being unable to make any kind of moral judgments about anything. Well, but they still do, okay. and they make moral judgment all the time. And that's where things get messed up, because you make a moral judgment when you pass a law. You make a moral judgment when you're teaching worldview in its colleges. You're making moral judgment everywhere you do. So so fundamentally, the, the idea of this colonialism or pushing things, uh, value on other people is neutral, because everybody's doing it. By you, this professor is teaching. We're doing it right now in, in this podcast, right? Everybody's arguing for truth, even though some would argue that there's no such thing as yeah, truth. Yeah, he's still arguing. He's still arguing. The, the, the truth is that there is no truth, which is, you know, contradicting itself. But the point is there's still, you, it's, you just, you can't avoid it, right? Right. So, but but the key is to argue the, the, the validity of this truth versus your truth or whatever truth you think right. it is. But no one wants to do that. You just want to say, well, you, you people, because of your skin color, color or because of your religion or because you're blah, 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 you don't get to do that. But right. we get to do it. Right. And that's what's happening. Because you're the, the dominant right culture, so right. you don't even have an opinion. You uh, shouldn't have an opinion. Because right. you're racist. And, you know, he talks about right. here imperialism, basically <clears throat> one culture dominating another culture. We would argue stridently that nobody should be imperialistic in terms of dominating. The goal is not dominating. The goal right. is elevating and blessing and lifting. And, you know, as you said, we've had people in the name of Christ who have been guilty of dominating. Um, and that's not, that's not a biblical value at all, even though right. it, gets, it gets tarred and feathered as you Christians. Right. But everybody who has the name Christian doesn't act in the name of Christ or follow the scriptures, and so imperialism is wrong. But let's talk about this. This is a word you run into if you take sociology uh, in school or psychology. It's, it's the phrase ethnocentrism, thinking your culture is better 
than another culture. Now, this is a nuanced phrase, too, because sure. if I'm sitting here going, yeah, you Asian people, you guys stink. You know, we, we white folks, we're the best. We, we Americans, we're better than you yeah. Asians or whatever. Uh, then that, that again, that's, a, that's ethnocentrism. It's, it, it's a ugly kind of prideful thing. But, but we are saying that there are some aspects of culture in one culture that actually lead to better results than the behaviors of another culture. Well, I want to make a bold statement. Like, Jesus is ethnocentric. He's saying the culture of the kingdom is better than all their kingdom. That's what he preaches. He's saying the value. Now, again, he says of ultimate humility. He right. says of great love because he wants to elevate others. But again, he's making a value. Evangelism, John the Baptist, when he said repent for the kingdom of God is near, he's making a value judgment. Right. He's saying that. At the, the same time, did uh -huh. not to interject, but. Yeah. But so what did Jesus do, spend most of his time doing? He's dealing with the ethnocentric views of the Jewish people, suggesting that uh, they're superior than, say, the Samaritans. How, how, many, yes, how yeah. many parables does Jesus tell where the hero of the parable was somebody that they despised ethnically and right. looked down upon, considered their culture you know, superior than the evil, yucky Samaritans or the Gentiles in general. Right. So you're exactly right. Jesus was constantly dealing with racism and ethnocentrism on a human level, but he 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 presented it, an alternative that was better. And, and that's why this is a nuanced point. It's like, well, you think ethnocentrism is, is related to because you think your race is superior and whatnot. But if it's just simply about your culture... You can't, if you don't think there's a better viewpoint and there's a better culture, there's nothing to say. There's no value to be given. What you will left with is like, I'm going to just let them be them. I want to be me. Then there is no mission. There's no there's no uh, persuasion. There's no teaching. There's no so, communication. So let's talk about that because you're talking about cultural relativism, the, a belief that culture should be judged by their own standards. So let's take the Hamar people. Yeah. They practice uh, violence against their enemies. They They behead them. It is an incredibly, you know, violent culture. Should we take our Western standards and then say, you know, hey, you guys really shouldn't be running around chopping the heads off of, of other people. That's not nice. That's what a lot of progressive liberals would mm. do. That's, that would be their approach today. But if you're truly a cultural relativist, then who are we to impose our Western civilization, democratic, Christian, progressive, whatever label you want to use, any of our views on them? We should they, they should be able to determine in their own culture what's good and what's evil. Yeah. And so if that's the case, you know, I remember you were talking about your college days. Um, when I was in grad school, I went out and taught a class on ethics at a, a state university. And I said, how many of you think uh, Adolf Hitler is a great guy? Well, of course, you know nobody thought he was a great. How many of you think what the Nazis did was was admirable and and uh, we should follow their example? Nobody. I said, well, why? And and it got real quiet. And then somebody said, well, well, Hitler, you know, slaughtered innocent people. He murdered innocent people. And I said, oh, so so mur you're saying murder is wrong? Well, yeah. And then I said, well, why? Aren't you imposing? Your values on Adolf Hitler, right. and who are you to tell Adolf Hitler that? What if Adolf Hitler felt like what he did was right? What if the right. German people felt like that was culturally appropriate for them to do what they did at that time? Who are we to tell them that, that they were wrong? And, and I said, so why is I said why is murder wrong? Silence. This whole right. lecture hall, silence. Right. And I said, let me tell you why it's wrong, because God says it's wrong, right. Right. and because God declared it was wrong, and because you're living on the fruit of a Judeo-Christian. 
ethical system that has taught you from since being a little child that murder is wrong, but it's because God declared it to be wrong. So, so it's interesting because that whole group of classroom students, right? If they don't believe in God and they don't say murder is wrong because of God, they're guilty of ethnocentrism because they're saying my culture, my exclusive culture, yep. my my my. My opinion, my, my, opinion my, yep. my tribe is right to say murder is wrong. It's like, how dare you say that your culture, your belief is better than someone else's belief. But when we recognize, hey, these cultural values did not come from our tribal experience, but came from God. Yep. Now it's not about your culture. Now it's not about your ethnocentrism. And now it's about a transcendent value that, that, that's be bigger than me. So our connection to the word of God and to our faith in, the, in, in, in God's command, revelation to us, actually free us from this kind of racist idea that right. you're just simply better than one. No, we're all the same, right? And Jesus came to say, yes, my, our culture, the kingdom culture is better than all your culture. I came That's to God's give you culture. life yeah. and life more abundantly. That is a bold statement about yeah. the kingdom and about uh, the transcendent values that Jesus came and right. preached that, that, are, that transcend all culture. So I love this. So we recently went to Honduras with our wonderful friends there and did a marriage conference. Mm -hmm. And I always like to, when I, when I go to different cultures, I like to preface the statement by saying, I'm not teaching you an American view of marriage, mm -hmm. just so you all know. I'm not, I could care less about an American view of yeah, marriage. Yeah, we're not doing so great here in our marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're <laughs> teaching you a kingdom view of marriage from God's perspective. Therefore, the principles we're going to read apply to all cultures. They transcend all cultures. In other words, this is the plumb line or this is the standard by which you judge what marriage looks like and whether marriage uh, is uh, uh, lining up with a plumb line of God's truth. And our assumption is if it does, if your marriage lines up with God's truth, you're going to have a great marriage. If your marriage doesn't to the degree that it's off to one side or the other, you're going to struggle. It doesn't matter what culture you're in, what God says about marriage transcends yeah. culture because it's kingdom. And that's why, you know, we're preaching, of course, on the kingdom series right now. And I encourage our listeners to go back if you're not able to be with us on Sunday. Uh, go back and listen to that because uh, this is really the foundation of our message of the gospel. It's about the king and about the culture that that the king creates. Mm -hmm. And so uh, ideas such as imperialism, ethnocentrism, cultural relativism, uh, cultural pluralism, all cultures are equally good and true. And the, the accusation that Christians, this is another good one, Christians are exclusivistic. In other words, we actually believe our way is the right way, therefore, shame on us. Hmm. Once again, the person right. who says shame on you is being just as exclusive as they're yeah. accusing us of being, because they're saying, my right. view is condemning your exclusivistic view. Well, as I say, Jesus is so convinced that he's the right way. He brings the correct way. He's not going to buzz that he actually died. So, I mean, talk about conflict in terms of two opposing views that's, that's saying we have the right way. The Jewish leader says, we have our way is so important, so sacred. We're so ethnocentric, we're going to kill you. And Jesus says, my way, the kingdom of God, is so right, so true, you know, and, and our culture is so perfect and so worthy of it, I'm going to lay my life down for it, you know? Absolutely. So He, put, he so puts his money where his mouth is, yes, he backs it up. He is being yep. exclusive. Let's not joke ourselves. Jesus wasn't saying, oh, you just do whatever you want. No, he yep. died because he's saying, no, there's only one way. He is being exclusive. And, and so, so the the opposite problem that he points out is he says, okay, we should be concerned with uh, imperialism dominating another culture. But how about this? What's equally evil is yes. indifference. 
So he looks at his, his, his people again. He's speaking yeah. personally here from someone who lives in that culture. He says, um, these people, the, the uh, Hamar people, were living in poverty and squalor. Alcoholism was rampant, mm-hmm. poor hygiene, terrible sanitation, terrible nutrition. Illiteracy was a massive problem, domestic violence. They, uh, they, the Hamar people were spiritists, so they worshiped the rivers and the mountains and the rocks and the sun. And uh, the problem was, again, they're getting no compassion from Mother Nature because Mother Nature is not a person. And so they're living in these harsh environments, disease, sickness, worshiping basically demon spirits. And he's saying, are we not able to at least show these people that there's options? Like, we don't have to come in and say, you're going to be this, or we're going to now punish you if you do such and such. But can we at least come in and educate these people and show them that there's a different way to live? Like you can actually, there's better nutrition than what you're currently experiencing now. Um, there's a better way of life. Now you can choose whether it's better or not. I mean, in other words, we're not forcing this. It's not right. It's not at the end of a bayonet or right. a gun. Um, but that's the purpose of educating people so that they can learn and have options about how they want to live. Right. Um, and so indifference, he says, is a... Uh, terrible thing. And I just want to bring up right here, there's a lot of this Rousseauian thought, especially in higher education, that that somehow the native, quote, native people left to their own, living in harmony with nature, that this is some pristine, you know, awesome, beautiful way to live and that we shouldn't come in and ruin their way of living. You know, I remember we were, we were talking about the movie... Um, uh, dances with wolves back in the day that glorified the, this uh, Indian tribe and, you know, of course, made the, the Westerners look like uh, terrible, terrible people. But the whole idea was they were living such a simple lifestyle, one with nature. That is a, a horrible, horrible myth. Uh, we're talking about disease, the demonic, uh, everything that the enemy brings as part of false religion was a part of these people's culture. There's nothing pristine about it. Uh, and that is a myth that needs to be exploded. Um, so anyway, uh, he brings up the, the question, how should we educate these folks? And he deals with the, the liberal naivete that, you know, we really shouldn't be proactive. Let's just, let's just let them watch American television, and they'll pick up the American and the Western and the democratized way of life. Of course, there's a few problems there. <laughs> yeah. They don't speak English. They don't have TVs. Yeah, they don't have electricity. So. <laughs> they, they don't understand our right. way of life. Right. But it's kind of like the hands-off laissez-faire, you know, they'll get it, uh, approach uh, of liberalism. And um, and he so he highlights, he goes, they need to be educated. Uh, but the problem is, who in the world is going to volunteer for that job? Hey, we've got this tribal people. They love to cut their enemies' heads off. They worship, they worship right. demonic spirits, and they're really looking for a good kindergarten teacher, you know? Right. I mean? <laughs> and the pay's not really great, and the, the conditions are pretty yeah. rough. You've got to hike hundreds of miles yeah, or whatever, yeah. who, tens who of wants, miles to get there. Who wants this job, yeah. you know? Um, and he basically made the, made the point uh, that, that this required missionary heroism. In other words, the only people willing to take up that task, because these were kind of a no-man's-land people. Right. Uh, the British soldier, the British Empire kind of left them alone. Yeah, nobody like, claimed you know them. What? We don't want to fight these guys. The Hindu people wouldn't touch them because uh, they were uh, in an untouchable lower caste. Uh, Islam required that you, you learn the Quran, which is in Arabic. So imagine going to these tribal people who have no written language, and now you have to teach them Arabic yeah. before you can educate them. So that didn't work. 
and so I love this story, and in the time that we have left, we'll try to cover it quickly. But in 1909, uh, the Gospel of John was written and translated into the Lashai language, which is the, the tribal language, and somebody had delivered to the chief's hut, kind of like Amazon uh, delivery boy, a, a, a New Testament or a Gospel of John in their language, uh, and it turns out it was a man by the name of Watkins Roberts, a businessman from Wales, who sent this uh, Gospel of John to the king's hut. And when the king received this book, although he couldn't read it or understand it, he realized somebody took great pain to mm-hmm. getting this book to him. Therefore, the contents must be really, really important. And so he sent an invitation out to the, the author. Yeah who was willing to go, even though the, the colonel who was in charge of the military colonel uh, who was in charge of that area said, that's way too dangerous, don't go, we can't afford the troops to yeah, send Yeah, we can't send you all the troops to protect and, you. Yeah. And he disobeyed uh, the order, and he went, and it was beautiful because he shared the gospel in a, in a way that they could grasp. Right. They were a, a militant tribe fighting their enemies, and he talked about two enemies who were at, at odds, who had had a history of violence, and how a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, uh, on behalf of the past and the sins of the people and forgiveness, and he talked about all these biblical con- uh, constructs, and then he applied it to Christ and what Christ did to reconcile us yeah. to God. And this message was incredibly received. He promised that he would come back and explain in more detail. Right, and and then, build schools and stuff like that. Yeah, right? and then the British told him, I'm sorry, we are out, you're expelled from the country for disobeying Yeah, the, you can't come order. back, right. So he was never able to come back. But this man, uh, Roe, who was the son of one of the leaders in that village, when he was just 10 years old, amazing story, his mom and dad said, you must go and to school because you need to translate the Bible into our language. This book is so important. We need to know the principles in this book. And he, what it was like a ninety-six mile yeah, walk it was a, through the jungle, like a ten-year-old, a ten-year-old right? with pythons and ja- jaguar. But the point was this: like, who would send their ten-year-old through ninety-six miles right. walking through a jungle? Well, if you believe that that book contained the truth that could transform your culture, right. you would be willing to do that. And that's right. exactly what they did. So the story goes, he came to the U.S., went to some great schools, got some great training, and he goes back. And this is pretty pretty incredible. After mm-hmm. 10 years of his return, uh, he began starting schools. After 10 years, 85 schools, a college, and a hospital, all founded without any government help. Mm-hmm. What a legacy. So yeah. this man went back with a man on fire uh, with a translation of the gospel in their language and and began literally, as he shared the truths of the Bible, saw this headhunting tribe, uh, all of a sudden everything, every measurable uh, uh, point of health begins going off the charts. Everything starts changing because of the truth of the Bible. And this is incredible. Today, 85% of Hamars can read. Compare that with India's overall literacy rate, which is at 60%. So here a group of, of you know, tribal prehistoric people who were backwards as can be by by uh, biblical standards steeped in in uh, demonic worship now 85% of them can read and their whole culture has been absolutely transformed yeah. what a story um and all of that happened because of the bible right. and i like some of his his principles he said what good is the mind if you educate the mind 
but you don't educate people morally. And he gave the example of Nazi Germany. You know, they were some of the high, most highly educated yeah. people committing some most of the most brilliant scientists, most heinous crimes. Right. Uh, and um, so he started. I love this. Uh, they tried to shut down his university. In fact, they, he did shut, close the university because they were demanding that they conform to certain secular principles. And, and here's a principle he shared, which I think is so apropos to American higher education today. He said, young people must have intellectual freedom to pursue truth. We don't have intellectual freedom in most uh, public universities in America today no way, to, yeah. to pursue truth openly. Um, we're handed a script of what to believe. And he was willing to shut down that university on that principle. Another thing I loved is he sent the, his, his Russians' friends' Bibles from India to every uh, zip code or every in, in the phone book in major cities. Everybody's getting Bibles sent from India into Russia, uh, which I thought was great. Yeah, because he recognized how the Bible, reading the Bible changes culture. He's seen it firsthand, right? Yeah, and, and you know, Westerners would not be able to do that, but because of the relationship between Russia and India, he was able to do right. that. And um, uh, some other principles, just to highlight as we wrap up, he talked about teaching Indians how to love your neighbor as yourself to get out of the caste system. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, we should we should be preaching this in America today with all the racial divide, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, he said, the pen is mightier than the sword. Ideas rule the world. Ideas create culture, and the Bible liberates nations. And so, um, again, powerful real life, real history, real people, real time right. uh, picture of how the ideas contained in a book, namely the Bible, can change the world. And all because this, this you know, white, Anglo, British business guy. Business guy came and imposed his values <laughs> on this headhunting try. And I love it. That, that would be the way it would be interpreted. But, right. but he simply introduced ideas to them. And, you know, in America today, we have so many people that are afraid of ideas. They shut down. They don't even let you articulate those ideas because they know that a mind that is open to truth can be transformed. And, and I've always argued this. This podcast stands by this. Um, the gospel is truth, and it liberates people, and ideas have consequences, and there are consequences in the Bible when, when read and understood and embraced and practiced change your life personally, they change your marriage, they change your family, they change your community, and ultimately they change the world. Right. And that's the power of truth. Uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so we just need to keep striving for an environment where we proclaim truth, where we stand with conviction, where we're not, where, you know, Christians have never been, the whole, the whole basis for religious liberty is not, I'm going to shove my religion down your throat. It's, you know what, true religion has to be embraced by the heart. It has to be, it has to be willingly embraced. It can't be forced on people like radical Islam uh, under, the, under the threat of death or whatever. Um, it, you have to have the freedom to, uh, to have a, a, a smorgasbord of ideas and then allow people to wrestle with those ideas. And, and again, I always say the proof's in the pudding. What is the impact of a lifestyle that's lived in accordance with this worldview versus a lifestyle that's lived in accordance with this worldview? What, what produces better outcome? Right. Um, and and what, what corresponds, you know, truth used to be defined as that which corresponds to reality. Like there is reality with a capital R. Like you could say, for instance, oh, I don't, I don't, I choose not to believe in gravity, and you can pretend like you can fly and jump off a skyscraper, but at the end of the day, you're going to figure out 
whether that was a true belief that corresponds to reality or not. Because as you're falling, you know, 100 stories and splatting on the ground, you'll probably come to the realization shortly before you hit that, you know what, and maybe gravity is real. So that was the point of higher education is let's strive after what's true because what's true will conform to what's real. And what if we live according to what's real, then we can order our lives accordingly and live good lives and blessed lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've lost that whole discussion. And I think this chapter makes an argument that, you know what, uh, the power of ideas is, is really, really amazing. And we must never give up on, on articulating our Christian worldview. Yeah, and our and, and being unpolog- unapologetic to say, no, we are imposing our value, but we're not doing it with a sword, we're not doing it with force, we're not doing it with pressure and guilt. We're doing it in a coherent, clear way to communicate our views, just like we invite you to communicate your views, like yes, you say. Absolutely. And and there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. That's okay to persuade others of the truth. You know, that's okay. Absolutely. In fact, it's our mandate. So I just want to encourage all of our listeners again, you know, the, the greatest weapon we have is the Bible. And sometimes we get uh, accused of, you know, using our Bible as a club. Uh, the Bible is not a club. The Bible is a love letter. It's an, it's an introduction to this amazing God that we have. It's an introduction to kingdom principles. And uh, we will unashamedly testify everywhere we go that wherever the gospel goes, people get blessed. Their lives are changed. Their cultures change, their marriages are changed, their economy changes, everything changes when the idea of the Bible are introduced, embraced, understood, and practiced. And so we got to start right here at home because we're, we're losing yeah. the game here at home, not because we don't have the answers, but because we're not proclaiming the truth. Yeah. Uh, so let's do that boldly. Stand, stand for Christ in the in the marketplace. Many of you go, are are working in the marketplace, and that's your ministry. Uh, unashamedly and and winsomely share the gospel every t- chance you can get, uh, and don't be ashamed of the good news because it's the power of God to save and to transform. So until next Thursday, thanks again for uh, for tuning in. We'll look forward to being with you next week. 